morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Fancy File Podcast. I am your host, Greg the Scott, and I have with me today a man that needs no introduction, yet if I didn't give an introduction, you wouldn't know who it was. Therefore, I guess he does need an introduction. I have failed. Mick, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, good. Yeah. Could you be a part of the Fantastic Four? Uh, as the thing. That's probably fair. You, I was going to say, you are looking a little more orange lately. That's true. But, and rocky. And, and rocky. But think of it this way. In high school, I was essentially the invisible woman anyways. <laughs> what? Oh, sorry. I was invisible to women. Oh. Wah, wah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and all the Christian ladies out there are like, oh. Another one. Here we go again. Mick, we have a great podcast lined up for everyone today. We're actually going to be starting a whole, I shouldn't say new series. We're continuing an old series because we took a bit of a break and did a two-parter on prayer. I think. Two-parter. Yes. That's not how I remember it. Was it longer than that? I don't remember. No, it was two episodes. I'm kidding. Good. Uh, So we're going to be going back to our series in Revelation. But before we do that, is there anything you want to tell the listening audience? Did you know that computers have the internet now? Oh, wow. Well. You never know. For some people, that might be new. It's true, but the, the computers do, and so do your phones. And so here's what I have to tell you. This podcast is available on everything the internet touches, um, mostly. And so you're going to want to subscribe, uh, follow, Download all our episodes in case the world comes to an end, and the only thing that survives is your uh, 60G uh, iPod. If, if the world comes to an end, you'll be able to hear our voices. Isn't that exciting? Which will be kind of sad, because if it comes to an end and we've been raptured, that means you haven't. If, if Okay. That's, yeah, that would, that, would, that would be rough. That would be very sad. Uh, but, yeah. So, go and check us out. And you've done the first step in checking us out right now because you're listening to us. And also, we want to hear from you. We don't have a P.O. box yet, but... um, Probably ever. I mean, if you send letters that are for us to, like, uh, PBS, it won't get to us, but know that someone will read it. To the fancy files, PBS is like, what? What's this? Yeah, someone will read it. Maybe, like, old castmates from the show Zoom. So we have a Fancy File Facebook page? Yes. It's the Fancy Files? Yeah, yeah. I think so. So obviously, if, if you're listening, like and subscribe. This is where you'll get information uh, regarding the podcast. And if you want to reach out and, as Mick said, ask questions or uh, you want to comment on something, that option is available uh, to you as well. Uh, did you want to talk about your book? Oh, it's true. Because you have a book that's already out. Yes. There's another book planning on coming out, and you're already thinking of writing a third book. Yeah, so um, last June, so that would be June 2022, I released my first book, Not at Home, which is a book about how heaven is our home and this earth is not our home. Did you write that book while you were at home, though? I wrote that book in a Starbucks, mostly. Okay, fair enough. Which for you is almost like being home. It's pretty much like being home. Um, This June, hopefully, uh, my new book, 700 Wives, 
will be released. It is about how... So the Invisible the Woman Man writes a book on 700 wives. Yeah. Well, that's just how it is. But so it's, it's about... It's not about divorce. It's not about divorce. <laughs> it's about sin and how even the tiniest sin can shipwreck in, uh, your walk with God. Uh, not necessarily your salvation, but uh, your walk with God, definitely. And I use King Solomon as an example in how... Uh, he went from disobedience to disobedience and ended up, it ended up costing, you know, his life. And so what started out with good intentions doesn't, will not lead to good things if it is not the will of God. And so that's what the book's about. And, um, a few people have read it, uh, mostly Greg. And (laughs) I'm a few people at the time of this recording. No, sorry, at the time that this will be released, yeah. uh, it should be that the book will be coming out within a month or two of the release of this podcast. It's true. It might even come out like two or three weeks from the release of this podcast. Quite possibly, yes. Yeah, because we're all we would we're be secretly in, already in, in May in right May. now. Yeah, so it's well, probably, not secretly. We are, we are in May. Well, you and I, but this will come out definitely early June. You won't be in May for this? No, I think we'll be in May. I think we'll be towards the end of May. All right. Well, if we're in May, you've got about three weeks to wait. If you're in June, two weeks. We've timed it perfectly. We've recorded podcasts in like the summer and then it was released in the wintertime. Yeah. That's how many times, we, how often we recorded it. But yeah, so that's exciting. And I have another book in the works called Worth of a Soul, which is on evangelism. And you're not going to want to miss that one either. I look forward to it. Good. I look forward to you reading it before everyone else. Excellent. I get the first draft. Yeah, and hopefully not the worst version of it. (laughs) Fair enough. So, as I was saying just a few minutes ago, uh, we're going to go back into our series on the uh, seven churches of Revelation. So, we had already gone through the first two, which was Ephesus and Smyrna, and now we're going to be going into Pergamus. Now, I say Pergamus because I have the King James Version. Some of the translations say Pergamum. So if I say Pergamus, it's Pergamum as well. Let's not get freaked out over the name. Some people get a little freaked out over stuff, Upsp- upsetty spaghetti maybe, and there's no reason to get upsetty spaghetti over that. Right? Right. I don't know. Do you do you get upsetty spaghetti over things like that? Well, no, because I have a new King James. Mine oh, says so Pergamus. Well. Okay, <laughs> we're good. Uh, now, before we dive in, and we're gonna, I'm gonna get Mick to read uh, what would be um, if you're following along, Revelation two verses twelve to seventeen. Uh, it's important to note that. So the Book of Revelation oftentimes is a book that is ignored. By many Christians, I don't know by how many, but it is ignored. I think a lot of there's some Christians who are afraid of the book. Uh, th- they're aware of the prophecy aspect of it. Maybe they've seen a Left Behind movie. People get afraid, and so they won't read it. Also, the the symbolic nature in it, they might figure it's too hard to understand. And you'll even have, in some cases, some pastors that won't touch touch it. They won't preach from it. Uh, And I think that's unfortunate because we're missing out on a great amount of teaching that's given in this book. The book itself, Revelation, when you read it right from chapter one, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
that's what the book is about. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And chapter one, you have this incredible unveiling of the Lord, uh, this beautiful vision that is given to John. And Jesus is revealing a lot about himself. Yes, there's a symbolism there, but there's truth within those symbols that he's uh, revealing of himself. But then there's also this great unveiling that takes place all throughout the book. And there is obviously, and I believe that there is a lot of it that is prophetic by nature, but it's not only prophecy. It's not only uh, talking about the world to come. I believe you see an unveiling of heaven. If you want to know, a lot of people love books on heaven. They're flocking to get these books of people who claim to have had trips to heaven and they died. And I would, uh, if you are one of those people, I'd advise you not to read those books because I think a lot of those people are lying, to say the least. I know it pulls on heartstrings. If it pulled on your heartstring and this is upsetting to hear, I'm not. My intention is not to upset you, but I mean, the Apostle Paul uh, was caught up to the third heaven, as and meaning he went to be where the Lord is, and the Lord showed him things he was not allowed to write down. And then you have individuals who are. I mean, you got some Christians who claim they're taking trips to heaven all the time, and then coming back and talking about it. I. Uh, I don't. I think there's something very wrong there. Now, does that mean that every single person who's had some type of death experience could they have seen something? Maybe they they thought they died or they dreamed it or or something. Maybe maybe even there was a vision involved. I don't know. Could that have happened? I don't want to limit the Lord. I just think if that did happen, people need to be careful about writing that stuff out because with visions and we are uh, Pentecostal here, so we do believe the Lord gives visions. But those types of visions are not, um, like, authoritative. So it might mean something to you. The Lord may be trying to show you something. It doesn't mean that it needs to be given to everybody, especially written in a book where you can make money. And this is the problem. And a lot of these books actually contradict each other. All these people going to heaven, there's all these different contradictions. Well, how does that work? If you really want to know what heaven is like, read the book of Revelation. There's a lot of incredible scenes set up in in that book in heaven around the throne of God is connected to worship there's a lot of symbols of the cross in there it's very beautiful so if you're one of those people love love about heaven love learning more about it go to the book of revelation don't be afraid to go in there in chapter 2 and chapter 3 we get an unveiling of the church and a lot of christians you, you, there's difference of opinion in the church world regarding what it means. I, I've heard some say that each church represents a church age, and maybe that's possible that there can be the, you know, many of the churches in that church history is, a, is like that specific church. But I do believe, one, these churches are not symbolic. These are obviously real churches. You can't say, oh, it's all symbolic. Well, Ephesus was a real church. There's a letter written to the, to the Ephesian Christians so you can't say, well, this is symbolic. These are real places that at the in the first century were found on a map and that we know where the ruins are today. It's not a mystery. And these are real problems that are facing the church world at that time. And I also believe that are issues that are facing the church today. You will see at the end of each message to the individual churches, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And I believe that today we need to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Because this, even though these messages were given, what, 2,000 years ago about, it still applies to us today. 
And it's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. It's, there's a weight to that. The Lord, it's the Lord's church. And the Lord cares about his people. And he cares about each individual congregation. So I said a lot there. Well, I'm going to get Mick. I want you to read uh, Revelation chapter 2, the official Bible reader of the Fancy File podcast. Perfect. Not chap- Chapter 2, 12 to 17, not the whole chapter. Yes. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things says, He who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name, and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrines of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things, uh, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Amen. Thank you. Amen. You like that? It's good. Good. You know, at the end of it, I'm thinking when, when you're reading about the, the the hidden manna, and then there's like a, a white stone with a new name. And I'm just thinking of that song. There's like, what was a new name down in glory, and it's mine, oh, it's mine, or something like that. No, I might be getting the words wrong, but... I don't know, it's probably a Gaither song. It, probably, but... Or, hmm, anyways, let's move on. So maybe someone will be like, oh, I know that song, I got the lyrics wrong. Well, yeah, I do, send it to send us. Send us, tell us what the lyrics were, and we can sing it to you. Um, Or I got a new home over in Zion. Yeah, it's, it's that one, okay. yeah. But I, I, isn't there a line, like, I got a new name written in Zion? It's very possible. Yeah. It's a long song, this probably. Let's... If it doesn't exist, we'll write a version of it where it yeah. does. Because Christians artists are rewriting songs left, right, and center. Okay, so like I said, we got the seven churches. This is the third, um, well, uh, of the church, Pergamus or Pergamum, depending on what translation that you're reading. Now, it's important to remember, again, Jesus is directing John to write these messages to these seven individual churches, um, seven if you follow the whole um, uh, numbers, like how numbers in the Bible mean something, seven being the complete number. So I believe in these seven churches, you are going to have all types of problems that any type of church throughout history can have, and the Lord is dealing with it here. Um, it's important to, to think. Again, it's the Lord speaking to his people. We see in the chapter one where... The, the vision of Jesus walking among the lampstands, the candlesticks, representative of each individual church. The Lord walks among his churches. That's important to remember. Jesus is Lord of the church. It is his church. He hasn't, we might think, well, Lord, he ascended to heaven. So he's not here. He's still here. His Holy Spirit is here among us. And so even though he is in heaven, 
uh, and seated at the right hand of the Father forever make, making intercession for us, the Lord is still walking among his church. He is aware of what's going on. He sees the problems. He sees the struggles. He sees the heartache. He sees the good. He sees the bad. And we think, well, what does the Lord have to say about all that takes place in the church? Well, the book of Revelation gives us a really good idea. Because then the messages he sends to his people, he brings, he'll say things that he's pleased with, which, of course, anyone would want to hear. We all want to hear what we do that pleases the Lord. But then he'll also talk about things that displease him in the church. And that might not be something, you know, ooh, Jesus saying he's upset about stuff? Oh, yes, Jesus will see things he doesn't like, and he will point it out, as we are going to see in this specific church. So we have words of encouragement, words of praise, words of correction, words of rebuke, words of warning. At times we'll have words of prophecy. And I do believe out of the seven churches, I believe five of them had some serious problems. So that's, if you, percentage-wise, that's a lot. That's a lot that we're on the bad side, so to speak. I mean, it, it does make sense, though, right? When it talks about the narrow way and when it's like many will fall. And that people would have a hard time walking it. Yeah, but it's like, realistically, that verse does say, like, the word that we translate for many is actually better translated to most. So if we're looking at, you know, two churches out of seven, it sounds about right. Not fun to hear, no, but right. And I think this is where people might get shocked because we think we put the first century church in such high esteem. And yet the first century church had a lot of problems. There is things that took place in some first century churches that would be scandalous today, like 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 news making scandals. We have 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians gives us so much material. The reason why we have a lot of that material, where it, it talks about spiritual gifts, it talks about how to take communion properly, it even talks about proper relationships. That was written because that church was a train wreck. They didn't know how to take communion properly. People were getting plastered at communion services. It makes them wonder what kind of communion service they were having. You know, the way we do it today, it's very like, all right, everyone quiet, worship song, pray pass out you know the the little wafer and the little cup it's like what what were they doing yeah they were yeah. passing around buckets instead of like tiny oh, cups buckets i mean they were showing up to like i think it was more of a feast the way they were doing it mm. you know and, and then I mean, we had the case you know where there was like wasn't there like a someone that was married his mother-in-law or something like that it was like big time scandal and then the spiritual gifts were you know, you, you'll have Christians today. Wow, you know, you see these charismatic churches. It's just chaos. Corinthian. It's a Corinthian church. You know, the, the they were out of order. And Paul had to write to them and tell them how it was done, how it should be done in order. Uh, so if you have the first century church in high esteem, and we should. Hey, look, they walked with the Lord. It was the very beginning of the church world. Um so yeah, I get it. I I put them in high esteem too. But I think it shocks people to realize that these Christians had problems. Like serious problems. And so I, I, I don't know if that's a comforting thing. Because, I mean, we have serious problems too. And it's like, well, if they did so close to the Lord and the church still exists today, I guess it's comforting knowing that it's not going to all completely fall apart. Well, I mean, there is that aspect, right, that the Bible does a really good job at tarnishing the reputations of every single character but one, and that is Christ. 
Yeah. Right? It's like you we may hold certain um, biblical characters in somewhat of a high esteem, regardless how we want. But at the end of the day, the Bible makes it clear that those people are flawed. Yeah. That those people are like you. Yeah. Um, you know, anytime I hear someone talk about like, you know, oh, be more like Samson. You know, like, Has anyone ever said that to you? Be more like Samson? Well, maybe be fit. And I interpreted <laughs> that as be more like Samson. But you should grow your hair like Samson. Yeah. But it's like, so, you know, be more, be like David or this or that. And it's like, well, actually, that's not what, you know, it's the Bible's telling you don't, don't be like them because that's what you are. Be like Christ. Be ye transformed, you know? And so maybe, yeah. maybe eat like Daniel. Daniel fast. Have you ever done that? 21 days, eh? No, I, I think it's more of what he ate. Oh, uh, no meat, vegetables, and oats? Or something? Or water? But, well, I'm hoping. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Eat like Daniel. Who knows? Maybe. And then you'll be able to withstand the lions. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Good point, Mick. Okay. Pergamus. So, people, we know where Ephesus is. I don't think we really talked about much about Smyrna. Uh, but the church, the message to Pergamus, what was Pergamus? Well, Pergamus was a city located in Asia Minor, which today is modern-day Turkey. So if you don't know where Turkey is, just look on a map, and you'll see where it is. Uh, about 20 miles from the Mediterranean Sea, uh, it was a wealthy city, and it was a city devoted to pagan worship. Now, that's important to remember because that kind of sets a bit of the context of of the problem that existed in this church, because if you're in a very pagan uh, city, a lot of temples dedicated to pagan worship, and with that came um, practices that were very uh, risque. In today's modern terminology, uh, they participated in things that were uh, pretty bad. And so this would not be an easy environment for Christians uh, to live in, and the, temp- the temptation would be to compromise. And so that's actually the issue with this church. It was a compromising church. And the Lord wants to deal with this because they were compromising. Uh, And now here's the thing. Today, I think this is something that we really need to look at uh, because I do believe far too many compromise with the world. And now, even though this church, the compromise was more on a pagan side and to to kind of uh, move away from biblical views to pagan views or mix it together. Uh, Today, even though, and we're talking about from a position of living in a Western culture, so if you are in listening to this podcast, maybe you are in a more Eastern type uh, world where there is paganistic views and the temptation could be to mix that. that. That could still be real. But for us in the wet, we're, we're Canadian, uh, so we are more secular. We, paganism is not uh, something that's it exists, but it's not like a widespread thing. And but yet the problem of compromise still exists. So the temptation would still be there uh, to give in to secular ideas and to compromise and to mix them together. Uh, and you'll see churches that will do this, that they'll depart from the Bible and begin to accept secularistic ideas for whatever reason. I don't know, maybe to be popular, maybe that people would uh, applaud them. 
maybe they're more in a city that's extremely secular and they want to you know, please the people around them. Because uh, there seems to be an idea that exists in, among some in the church that to win the culture, you need to be like the culture. That's wrong. If you think that way, I don't mean to offend you, but you're wrong. That's, it's not going to help anyone. Not only that, the Lord is displeased with that. And actually, that brings up my question. Uh, why, why do you think this happens? Why do you think this happens? Well, I think it starts maybe with good intentions and then leads, and then it's followed with poor interpretation. Um, we want to reach people. We want to be like Paul. Um, and what city was it? Athens, right? Was it the altar of the unknown God? Yeah, the altar, yeah. right? We read that and we're like, we want to be like Paul. In a culture of pagan worshipers, we want to reach them. Um, and so we, we go in the marketplace or wherever people worship, and we see the kind of altar, whatever, to the unknown God, except our relation to it is different. Instead of pointing to it and saying, you guys worship a lot, and this thing that you guys keep seeking, um, here's what it is, and point to Christ. What we do is we take things from the other altars and fill the unknown God's altar. And that is a big difference because you end up creating a God that isn't there. It is no longer the unknown God. It is the altar to the mishmash of everything around it. Yeah. And so I think it, that's where the big problem is. Yeah. Good intentions, poor interpretation. Right. And, you know, it's just kind of like a shipwreck waiting to happen. Right. Yeah. Well, here in Pergamus, this is a problem that existed. They were, I guess, mixing in. Well, we're going to see later on as we get through this uh, this uh, series on Pergamus what this church was doing uh, and what they were accepting and allowing. And because it was so rampant, it was just spreading, uh, Jesus, for him, he's got to cut that out. He's got to cut, cut out the compromise from the church. Uh Again, it shows, you know, the Lord does care and the Lord does see. And I don't know, like, if that's a comfort or a scary thing. But realizing that if you are in a church that is compromising with the world. And that, hey, like, remember what, who you serve. And that he's not just going to sit back. And maybe we think that way. Maybe we think of him as just sitting back and kind of crying and like pleading. Why are you doing this? Well, what is the revelation that we see here? Because when we read verse 12, and it says, To the angel of the church in Pergamos write these things, says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, it's important to remember that in each church, Jesus reveals himself to them, something specific that they need to hear. And, you know, I think in in the last church, uh, we were talking about, you know, the last church was the persecuted church. And, you know, he talks about um, he, how he is the first and the last and was dead and is alive. And for, for a church that that is suffering, for a church that is suffering, uh, rem- being reminded of, of the resurrection is incredibly important. But here we have the Lord as being shown as having a sword coming out of his mouth. 
And it's interesting that he'll use that to, room, to speak to this church. Hey, I have the double-edged sword, and I'm going to use it. And so you might be thinking, okay, he has a sharp two-edged sword. And we know in Revelation chapter 1 that it talks about uh, in verse 16, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. So this is, so you see it again. Now, this brings up the question, what does the sword represent? Well, there's some clues. Whenever you want to know something in the Bible, go to other Bible verses. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. By the way, if you want to know how to interpret Revelation, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Well, again, we see it comes out of his mouth, so it's connected to speech. In Revelation 19, when it makes mention of his return, it says in verse 15, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, which that with it he should strike the nations. So there's definitely judgment connected to this sword. When Paul was talking about the armor of God, he mentions the sword of the Spirit, which he says, which is the word of God. So I believe the sword actually represents the word of God. And Jesus comes to his church with the word of God. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is, is powerful. It's living. It, it's active. It cuts. It reveals our heart to us. It, it shows us what we truly are. And I find that so interesting that the Lord shows this church that symbol of himself, the word of God. Why do you think he does that, Mick? Well, obviously I don't want to jump ahead. Um, don't jump ahead. I'm not jumping ahead. But this is a church that has a testimony, a positive testimony, um, at least to a certain extent, meaning that they had somewhat of a high esteem for the truth, uh, and they probably run their church on the basis of saying, we believe in the truth. Um, but this is kind of a, a problem we see nowadays as well, where it's like a lot of churches, you go on their websites and they have these, you're like, oh, actually, I believe in their mission statement. This, you know, or the statement of faith. This sounds a lot like uh, what I believe. But then when it comes to practice, it's out the window. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like it exists for the like for the sake of saying it exists right and so it's like okay well they probably held to the truth but let go of applying it right and um yeah i think that's what's what very good uh because when i was meditating on this it's kind of like this is kind of what i was thinking okay and i found it so interesting like, I, I always believed that the sharp-edged sword represented the Word of God. And some of the commentaries, I like what they say, how it, like it's double-edged. And, and so, you know, on one side you have, you know, it cuts for salvation, you know, grace and mercy and the peace of God. But on the other side, it talks about, like, judgment. And we know, we see that in the scriptures here where it does make a reference to judgment. And that 
in the Word of God, when you're reading the Bible, there's there's the passages that talk about the salvation of God and the goodness and the and the mercy of God. But then there's also that judgment side of it as well. And and I find it so interesting that the Lord reveals Himself to this compromising church with reference to the Word of God, because uh, it's very possible that this church slowly had drifted from the Word of God, and. And in doing that, it opened the door to this paganistic style compromise. Uh, and right away, he's actually, I believe, showing the answer to compromise, which is to come back to the Word of God. Well, you know, we talk about the the sword being truth, right? Essentially, is what it is. Um, well, truth divides. It, it is one of the main things about truth, and... Uh, if you look at a map of those seven churches, they're fairly close to one another. Um, you know, when we read that Jesus walks in like among like between the lampstands, like there's literally like a massive hall in terms of on that map, and it is very possible that a lot of those people who held to the truth, um, when the truth, you know, when the sword came down left for other churches and those that were left were those that maybe weren't that you know weren't that influenced by the truth and were simply just there because that's what they did right, right. and so it, it's such a weird thing because you know i think if we want to go with the theory not saying that we are but if we want to go with the theory right of these are church ages this feels very much like like this right now <laughs> in terms of like somewhat of a decent testimony god has moved mightily and and like a lot of people can actually acknowledge even non-believers can acknowledge that god has moved yet there is a lack of power and a lack of truth and there's unity in things that really shouldn't have unity in it yeah and, and so yeah I absolutely agree. I do believe that there are a lot of Pergamum, Pergamus churches out there today that have compromised and are compromising with the world. And I believe the reason that this is happening, uh, at least one of them is, but I mean, ultimately, it's going to be somehow rooted in this, that churches in some way compromise by leaving the word of God. Bit by bit, the Bible loses its place um, and something else might replace it. And you might think, oh, no, no, no. Come on, Greg, these, you know, like, and, and we're talking about churches. We're not talking about churches that are already in total apostasy. We're talking about churches that would be the evangelical born again, you know, fundamental churches of, of, of the day. All right. They're supposed to be the Bible believing churches. Jesus is writing the churches that are supposed to be Bible believing uh, churches. And you will have in these modern day Pergamus churches, they will quote from the Bible. They will preach sermons and they'll quote from the Bible. But the problem is, is that the Bible is really not what's driving them. I want to be careful how I say that because really, obviously the Holy Spirit, but the word of God is our authority. Whatever you believe the Holy Spirit is telling you, if it contradicts scripture, it's wrong because the Holy Spirit wrote this, right? Some, somewhere along the way, something replaced it. Oftentimes, I believe we call it vision. And, and I don't mean visions from the Lord, but I mean 
you'll hear churches that will talk about vision casting. What's the vision of the church? And we're not against that. We believe that, uh, you know, there are some churches that have a good biblical vision and, and that's fine. But in many cases, you have churches where that's actually not the case. It's a man-focused vision. Uh, it has it, it is rooted in trying to grow numbers. It's not really rooted in, in, in spiritual growth. And so they compromise. And they're okay with that compromise. They'll recognize that. Well, they'll even, they'll even, you'll even hear sayings, and this is where you know you're, in, you're in, this church isn't Pergamos. Church isn't for the, for the Christian, it's for the non-believer. That uh, is totally unscriptural. If you are going to a church that's promoting that, you're in, you're in dangerous ground because that church will compromise because they care more about the non-believer and they care more about appeasing the non-believer than they do about teaching the Word of God to help a Christian grow. Because the purpose of the church, I mean the church, Ecclesia, it is the body of Christ. It's called out. Those who are called out of the world to come to Christ. So to say that that's not for the, the believer, then you've created something where, where a believer has no place to go. Because where's the believer to go? Oh, they'll say Bible study. But then when they go to the Bible studies, again, they're not really talking about the Bible. They're talking about feelings. See, again, the word of God has been removed. We're not studying it. We're not diving into it, seeing what it says to us. We care more about people's feelings. We care more about, uh, and again, you talk about motives, and I don't want to say that these people's motives are wrong or, or, or that they're coming from a place where they're purposely doing this. They may honestly believe what they're doing will win people to the Lord. So I cannot say that their motives are wrong. The Lord sees their motives because we're even going to see in the next verse, he says, I know your works. The Lord sees where they, where they are, where their heart is. In these churches, the Lord knows their hearts. However, good intentions, that's not enough, right? These churches have taken the word of God away. They're, it's no longer, what does the Bible say? It's now, what does men say? What does the vision say? What does you know, the method say? What does the book say that told us to do it like this? And if you do it like this, you'll get thousands of people. I believe that is a big, big compromise in the church. And, and this is why I believe there's a, a lack of holiness because some of those churches, huge, huge. The numbers are there, money's coming in, and on the outside it looks great. But inside, full of dead men's bones. And if the Lord wrote to those churches, he would say the same thing. In some ways he would be saying to these churches, you got to repent. And he'd probably address them with the sharp-edged sword. And then the warnings, if you don't change, guess what? The lampstand is going. And you've seen this. Churches that once were huge, now in some cases no longer exist. Either the church has been removed completely and it shut down, or their light, their effectiveness is gone. So, you know what? Maybe this is where we should land the plane. <laughs> it's a good spot to land. It's a good spot to land. Uh, the good news is that the Lord is always gracious. He wants his people to repent. And maybe if you hear, oh, no, the Lord is displeased, you think he'll forever be displeased. He won't. The Lord wants us to repent. 
He's willing that no one should perish. He doesn't want a church to, for its light to go out, right? He's made a promise, I will build my church. Now, building my church does not necessarily mean that he's talking about a local, one specific local church. He's talking about the entire body of Christ. So even if a church light goes out, the body of Christ still goes forward. But for a church that is, we have given everything we need to live for the Lord. If that light goes out, it's because of us. We have, we've ignored those giftings. And we don't want that to happen. And not only for churches, but for individuals. If you allow something else to direct your walk with God, and it could even be things like personal prophecy. If you remove the word of God, if you remove the Bible, you will go down a road of compromise. And it's very dangerous. Mick, did you want to say anything in closing? I feel like I could say a lot, <laughs> but I won't. But um, He wants you people to desire more for the next podcast. Exactly. To hear his voice again. Exactly, as I read from the New King James. As he reads from the New King James. All right, well, thank you very much for listening. I pray it was a blessing to you. I was your host, Greg the Scott, and as, as you know, I had my sidekick, Mick. Thank you, Jojo. No, oh, there we go. Everyone take care, and God bless. Thank you.